We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. go episode 440 of the Al Galdi podcast it is Thursday November 10th 2022 a day on which we will have a supposed major announcement from Washington DC Attorney General Coral Racine regarding the commanders uh, Racine has been investigating the commander's financial scandal the presser will be held at 1 p.m. A press release on Wednesday said that Racine on Thursday, quote, will hold a press conference to make a major announcement related to the Washington commanders, end quote. And that statement, my friends, was only the start of the latest wild ride for our football team. Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. We on Wednesday evening got an initial statement of response from the commanders, specifically someone representing co-owner and co-CEO, for now, Dan Snyder. Uh, The statement invoked the shooting of running back Brian Robinson Jr. in Washington, D.C. this past August 28th. And we then, late night on Wednesday night, got another statement from the commanders. This one from team president Jason Wright attempting to clean up the mess of that initial statement from the team. Just another day in the dysfunctional clown show world of the Washington commanders. Cuckoo! Cuckoo! Yes, exactly. Next segment, I will get into all of this. And then after that, a guest to talk hardcore commanders football. Former Redskins interior defensive lineman Kedrick Golston. We are going to do a deep dive on the commanders defensive line, which has been outstanding. Uh, Kedrick is excellent at talking X's and O's. He obviously knows of what he speaks. I think that he's the most underrated former Skins player doing media work. He's a really good guy, and he's going to give us a lot of insight on Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen and Montez Sweat and more. Look, After we discuss the dueling statements from the commanders and before this press conference on Thursday afternoon, we need a palate cleanser, okay? So sit back, relax, and enjoy the football wisdom of Kendrick Golston on the number one bright spot for the commanders this season. 
their defensive line. Also on the show, the Capitals, uh, a rough 4-1 loss to the Pittsburgh Penguins at Capital Win Arena on Wednesday night on what was a not-so-great night for Caps goaltender Darcy Kemper. And I'll talk Orioles. Uh, they, on Wednesday afternoon, announced that they have declined their club option for the 2023 season for starting pitcher Jordan Lyles. I have some thoughts on that. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. You know, I have been receiving a lot of feedback on Commander's Offensive Coordinator Scott Turner. Imagine that. Uh, email from Sterling T. Porter II, CPA, right? Sterling, with Frank Reich now fired from Indy. I think we should look at him as our new offensive coordinator for next season. I know it's complicated as we just recently extended Scott Turner. However, Turner is not it. There are always excuses for why the offense is not working. Carson Wentz was supposed to be able to open up the playbook, but the offense was abysmal after week two with him. It appears defenses figured us out after week two, and Turner hasn't adjusted. Ron Rivera is a defensive coach and is relying way too much on Scott Turner. Ron needs someone he can really rely on, and Frank Reich is better for the job. We could even keep Carson for next year as we continue to groom either Sam Howell or a new first-round quarterback. That is, if you don't believe there were issues between Wentz and Reich and Indy, and I think it was all the owner, Jim Ursay, anyway. Thoughts? Is it even possible due to Turner's contract? As always, keep up the good work on the show. God bless. Uh, thank you for the email, Sterling. Appreciate that. Uh, the only way that I would want the commanders to hire Frank Reich would be if they're keeping Carson Wentz as their starting quarterback. Frank and Carson have worked well together. They know each other well. I agree with Sterling. I don't think that there's major heat between Frank and Carson over Carson's departure from the Colts. Uh, if the commanders are sticking with Carson for next season and committing to Carson for next season, then bringing in Frank to be the offensive coordinator might make sense. But we would need to see a lot more from Carson this season in order to even begin the conversation about bringing him back as the commander starting quarterback for next season. Uh, I agree. At some point with Scott Turner, his Washington offense needs to produce. This is year three for him as a team's offensive coordinator. This is a third consecutive season with him as Washington offensive coordinator in which the offense isn't good. And yes, there are excuses, but there always are excuses. I mean, the commanders through week nine have the following offensive rankings for this 2022 regular season. Number 28 in the NFL in total offense, per Football Outsiders DVOA metric, number 29 in the NFL in passing offense per DVOA, number 27 in the NFL in rushing offense per DVOA, number 26 in the NFL in third down efficiency. Those are horrendous offensive rankings. Uh, although the Indianapolis Colts this season actually have been worse than the Commanders have been offensively, the Colts are dead last in the NFL in total offense per DVOA. And that is a big part of why the former Maryland quarterback, Frank Reich, got fired as Colts head coach on Monday. Email from Dr. Sabah, the number one fan of Commander's quarterback, Taylor Heineke. Right, Sabah, this season has been exhausting for me and Heineke supporters. Anyway, I am so frustrated with Scott Turner. <laughs> he has Taylor Heineke, whose strength is mobility 
Yet Scott insists on keeping Taylor in the pocket and treating him like a shorter version of Carson Wentz. Taylor has a super skill at making plays on the run. Why won't Scott let Taylor have two series per half at going up-tempo? This would help to slow down the pass rush because the defense would be tired and unable to substitute. Why won't Scott let Taylor run read option plays 20% of the time, especially on third and fourth downs? This way, Taylor could run, pass, or hand the ball off to a running back. That would put the defense in conflict. Why won't Scott let Taylor run plays in which the pocket moves? Again, making the defensive line move and run and get tired, thus helping the offensive line, quarterback, offense, and team. It's like Scott has told Taylor, you can only succeed if you do things my way. It's like you telling Superman that he has to save the city, but is not allowed to fly. So what's the point? Anyway, as you can probably tell, I'm very frustrated and I feel my time with Taylor is slipping away and he hasn't been given a real chance to succeed. No preseason prep with the ones for two years in a row. Rod Rivera has wasted two years of our team's time and us fans' time on Ryan Fitzpatrick and Carson Wentz instead of giving Taylor a chance with full prep. But Taylor needs to step up and tell Scott to let Taylor do what he does best. Move, run, throw the throws he is good at, get the ball to his playmakers, or else we may have seen the last of Taylor. Even Kansas City puts Patrick Mahomes on the run, so risk of injury should not be a reason that we don't move Taylor around. Scott needs to let Taylor tango. Scott needs to tailor the offense to Taylor. Love your pod, and I hope to hear your comments in response to this email. <laughs> Sabah, thank you so much for that email. You know, now I'm worried about you, Sabah, because you highlighted the reality that your time with Taylor may well be slipping away here. Uh, anyway, I agree with you. I have talked about this since last season. Washington does not do a good enough job of taking advantage of Taylor Heineke's mobility. Taylor's mobility is a weapon. The commanders should be using that weapon in all kinds of ways. The commanders should be maximizing the benefit of that weapon. The commanders should be exploiting that weapon. The commanders should be extracting every last drippity drop out of Taylor's mobility. I'm not saying to be reckless with him, and obviously you don't want him to get injured, but you know, Taylor now has proven that he can stay healthy. The concern that everyone had about his durability that concern has been lessened greatly by the durability that he has demonstrated since week one of last season. And so give us read option looks and bootlegs and sprint outs and design quarterback runs. We see too few of these things with Taylor Heineke, especially considering that the commander's offensive line isn't good. It would be one thing if the offensive line was having a terrific season, but the exact opposite is the case. The commanders through week nine a mere 28th out of 32 NFL teams in ESPN's pass block win rate for the 2022 regular season, and a mere 28th out of 32 NFL teams in ESPN's run block win rate for the 2022 regular season. The offensive line play has been abysmal. 
So we had two anti-Scott Turner emails, but here is a pro-Scott Turner email, at least to a certain degree. Email from Aaron, writes Aaron, I hope this finds you well. Despite how people feel about Scott Turner of late and even how I have felt, I wanted to touch on a criticism that I keep hearing from some of the more popular Washington Twitter analytics gurus. They criticize Scott Turner for being predictable on his play calling this year and last year. Pass on first down in completion, leading to a run on second down to try to get some of the yardage back for third down. But I wanted to offer this tidbit of data analysis, see attached images. This year, Washington runs on second down following an incompletion on first down only 33% of the time. That remarkably is middle of the pack, only 14th most often in the NFL. Going back to 2017, the league average is actually 35% run in that situation. The conclusion here is this, Scott Turner may not be getting it done with this offense, but for those looking to blame that on predictability, you need to be digging elsewhere if that's what you really want your narrative to be. Well, thank you for the email, Aaron. And sure enough, he, with his email, includes images supporting what he wrote. Uh, Yeah, I am not one of the Twitter NFL analytics people who has ripped Scott Turner for being predictable. That was a valid criticism to an extent last season, but that really hasn't been as valid this season. My biggest criticisms of Scott are he hasn't adequately mitigated the bad pass protection of this season. He isn't capitalizing enough on Taylor Heineke's mobility, and Scott at times has been too committed to a running game that isn't working. Uh, As I've said, I don't think that Scott Turner is like some dummy, but as I just said, at some point, he needs to be the coordinator of an offense that isn't among the worst in the NFL. Because for a third time in three seasons for him as Washington offensive coordinator, the team has one of the worst offenses in the NFL. Well, who knows if the commander's offense will truly get going this season. I do know, though, that right now is a sneaky good time to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area. Prices are coming down. You know, Moody's Analytics is predicting an overall year-to-year housing price decline of 6% nationally and about a 10% fall from the price peak this past June. Housing prices are falling. Now, actually, is a very good time to buy a home, even with the increases in mortgage rates. You can always refinance when the rates come down, and they will. If you are looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, if you want to take advantage of the current marketplace, contact real estate agent Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L dot com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt understands the current market, but he's not just some know-it-all. He is here for you to listen to you, to hear what you want, and then determine the best way of going about getting you what you want, no matter your age or situation in life. His website says it all, CloseItWithKell.com. Kellen Hunt is a closer. Kellen Hunt will close you buying the home that you want. And Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you the buyer get a piece of the action. If you are looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, if anyone who you know is looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, the name to know is Kellen Hunt. Take advantage of the current marketplace with Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. 
com. That's close it with Kel, K-E-L-L.com. Book your call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit closeitwithkel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. If you would like to have your message heard on the Al Galdi podcast, if you would like to advertise your business or practice on the pod and reach thousands of people every episode at a very affordable price, hit us up. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Well, speaking of having your message heard, the off the field fun with our commanders, with the Mandos, with the Durs, never does end, now does it. And even with the co-owners and co-CEOs, Dan and Tanya Snyder, now selling the team to at least some extent, with plenty of indications that the entirety of the Snyder's ownership is being sold. The -the off-the-field fun may well be getting a whole lot more, shall we say, incendiary. I mean, after all, if you're Dan Snyder and you're finally getting out, what the heck do you care, right? Might as well go scorched earth, right? Might as well go out taking shots left and right at your enemies, right? And doing so without any fear or concern regarding collateral damage. We on Wednesday got a press release from the office of Washington, D.C. Attorney General Coral Racine. Uh, Coral Racine has been investigating the team's financial scandal. Uh, This is one of the about 400 investigations going on with the team. The press release said that Racine on Thursday, quote, will hold a press conference to make a major announcement related to the Washington commanders, end quote. What exactly that announcement is, we do not know. We certainly can speculate. Clearly, the announcement isn't going to be something good for the commanders. Well, we on Wednesday evening got the response from the commanders, presumably the Dan Snyder portion of the commanders, as opposed to the football or even business operations portion of the commanders. Quote, less than three months ago, a 23-year-old player on our team was shot multiple times in broad daylight, despite the out-of-control violent crime in D.C., today the Washington commanders learned for the first time on Twitter that the D.C. Attorney General will be holding a press conference to make a major announcement related to the organization tomorrow. The commanders have fully cooperated with the AG's investigation for nearly a year. As recently as Monday, a lawyer for the team met with the AG, who did not suggest at that time that he intended to take any action and in fact revealed fundamental misunderstandings of the underlying facts. It is unfortunate that, in his final days in office, Mr. Racine appears more interested in making splashy headlines based on offbeat legal theories rather than doing the hard work of making the streets safe for our citizens, including bringing to justice the people who shot one of our players. End quote. (laughs) 
And it was that statement that set Twitter on fire. Uh, the amount of criticism of that statement that erupted on Twitter was like the greatest volcanic eruption that you could ever imagine. So much so that Commander's team president, Jason Wright, late night on Wednesday night, while many of you were sleeping, while some of you were engaged in deviant acts, came out with a statement of his own. And you will hear Jason reference Robert J. Conti III. Uh, Robert J. Conti III is the chief of the Metropolitan Police Department of Washington, D.C. Quote, I just spoke to Chief Conti, conveying how much we support the work of MPD, as well as public safety leaders and elected officials working to reduce gun violence and crime across the region. The earlier statement expressed our external counsel's ongoing frustration with the attorney general's office as they have been nothing but earnest and transparent in their communications with his team. The lawyer's legitimate frustrations with the AG should have been separate and apart from referencing the the terrible crime that affected our player, end quote. So yeah, we on Wednesday evening had one statement from the commanders, and then we late night on Wednesday night had another statement from the commanders, for whom so often the left hand does not know what the right hand is doing. Yet another instance of chaos and dysfunction for our football team. Yes, exactly. Uh, I want to address what was wrong with that initial statement from the team in a moment, but I want to first acknowledge two things. Number one, there certainly was an element of grandstanding with Carl Racine's office putting out a press release, hyping up a, quote, major announcement regarding the Washington commanders, end quote. You're being naive if you don't think that there is some grandstanding, some showmanship in that press release being put out more than 24 hours prior to the presser. And in that press release, using a phrase like, quote, major announcement, end quote. People like Carl Racine want attention. They want to move up the political ladder. And so they're going to use a development like this with a guy as unpopular as Dan Snyder, whatever the development is, to their advantage. Uh, Number two, it is true that Washington, D.C. has a lot of problems, as do a lot of major cities in our country. We talked about this off the shooting of Commander's running back, Bride Robinson Jr., who clearly was the player who was referenced in that initial statement uh, from the Commanders, right? Robinson was shot multiple times in an incident in Washington, D.C. this past August 28th. It isn't wrong or unfair to call out Washington, D.C., for its problems with crime. The city needs to clean up these problems and take a long, hard look at itself and why these problems exist. However, this statement from Team Dan Snyder, this statement from Team Danny, and that's what it was, a statement from Team Danny as opposed to a statement from, say, Jason Wright. I mean, come on, all right? First of all, the way that things work in Washington, D.C., is that the D.C. Attorney General can only prosecute juvenile crimes and some misdemeanors. The prosecutions of serious adult crimes are actually handled by the U.S. 
attorney's office. Now, yes, Coral Racine has some role in handling the city's crime problem. And yes, the two people who have been arrested in the shooting of Bride Robinson Jr. were juveniles. But fair is fair. The city's crime problem isn't all on Racine to say nothing of law enforcement being able to handle more than one crime at a time. Like, pursuing alleged bad behavior by Dan Snyder shouldn't preclude D.C. from pursuing the bad behavior of others. I mean, unless this guy, Carl Racine, is totally incompetent, he and his office should be able to effectively pursue multiple cases as opposed to one case. Second of all, the invoking of what happened with Brian Robinson Jr. Now look, if you didn't know better, you could maybe possibly say that Brian had no problem with his name being used in this way. You know, Brian, upon coming back to practice with the commanders off the shooting, acknowledged the Snyders for their support of him off having been shot. But you see, we do know better because we on Wednesday evening had another statement. Brian Robinson Jr.'s agent, Ryan Williams, tweeted out the following, quote, up until an hour ago, the commanders handled the Bride Robinson situation with so much care, sincerity, and class, and I was so grateful for all of it. Although I know that there are some great humans in that building, whoever is hiding behind this statement is not one of them. End quote. <laughs> I mean, if that is not a stiff blast from the agent of Brian Robinson Jr. at Dan Snyder, I don't know what is. And you gotta think that if Brian Robinson Jr.'s agent feels that way, then there's at least a decent chance that Brian feels this way. And if Brian wanted no part of being used in a defense of the Danny against Carl Racine for whatever it is that Racine is announcing on Thursday afternoon, well, then Brian should in no way have been mentioned in that defense. The horrendous experience of him being shot multiple times should in no way have been invoked if he didn't want that, and it would seem that he didn't want that. So this statement from Team Dan Snyder really came off as a low-class statement and also as a low IQ statement, when you consider that Team Danny has needlessly put Brian Robinson Jr. in a bad position and has gotten things wrong from the standpoint of, like I said, the way that things work in Washington, D.C. is that the D.C. Attorney General can only prosecute juvenile crimes and some misdemeanors. The prosecutions of serious adult crimes are handled by the U.S. Attorney's Office. I am not one of these people who thinks that everything about Washington, D.C. is so wonderful and that it only rains candy canes and lollipops in D.C., okay? I've lived in the D.C. area my entire life. I have spent a lot of time in the city of D.C., going out in D.C., spending absurd amounts of money on drinks in D.C., doing radio shows in D.C., doing everything it is that we all do in D.C. I love the city. It is an outstanding city, but it does make me sad to see the problems that the city now has. It does make me angry to see the problems that the city now has. So understand, I'm not one of these people who is like all sensitive about Team Dan Snyder having taken a shot at the city of D.C. D.C. deserves a lot of criticism. What I am, though, 
is highly amused, not surprised, but highly amused by all of this. First, the low class and low IQ nature of this statement from Team Danny. And then the need for Jason Wright to put out a statement late night on Wednesday night to try to clean up this mess. I mean, this organization just cannot help itself. Cuckoo! Cuckoo! Yes, thank you. Uh, The combination of low class and low IQ is a terrible combination. You know, it's one thing to be low class. It's one thing to be low IQ, to just not be very smart. When you have those two things in combination, in concert, uh, boy, that is a bad combo. And yet we have had that combo at the top with our football team for 23 plus years. We will see what this major announcement from Carl Racine is. Maybe it'll be a big nothing burger. And if it is, then Racine will deserve criticism for needlessly and shamelessly hyping up something that wasn't worthy of hype. But regardless of what the announcement is, Team Dan Snyder, its statement on Wednesday evening. Wow. I mean, if Dan truly is going out, he is going out in a blaze. And I can't emphasize this enough. He can't be out soon enough. Up next, we talk actual commanders football. Imagine that. Uh, A welcome on former Redskins interior defensive lineman Kedrick Golston, who will provide an in-depth breakdown of the outstanding work being done by the commander's defensive line. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed the podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a brief review saying that you like the podcast. Well, 
Call it a coincidence, call it something more, but I found it fitting that office on Friday having learned of the death of the man who to me is the greatest interior defensive lineman in Redskins history, Dave Butts, we on Sunday afternoon had yet another game in which the commander's two best current interior defensive linemen, Jonathan Allen and Durant Payne, we're outstanding again. Uh, John, in the 2017 loss to the Minnesota Vikings at FedEx Field in Week 9, had four quarterback hits and two tackles for loss. He was the third highest graded commander's player for pro football focus for the game, registered an overall grade of 80.5. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Duran finished the game with a sack, two quarterback hits, and four tackles for loss. John and Duran are top Five in the NFL in tackles for loss in the 2022 regular season. John Allen is third in the NFL in tackles for loss with 11. Deron Payne is tied for fourth in the NFL in tackles for loss with 10. And the two players are big parts of a commander's defense that through week nine is number two in the NFL in run defense for Football Outsiders DVOA metric for the 2022 regular season. A man who especially appreciates what John Duran, edge defender Montez Sweat, and the rest of the commander's defensive line are doing is the man who joins me now, former Redskins interior defensive lineman Kedrick Golston. Uh, Kedrick was taken by the Skins in the sixth round of the 2006 NFL Draft out of Georgia. He played for the Skins for 11 seasons, 2006 through 2016. Hey, Kedrick, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Al? Doing well. Good to have you back on. Hey, is Kedrick Golston joining the likes of Jeff Bezos and Jay-Z and Matthew McConaughey and Kevin Durant and maybe even Robert Griffin III as potential buyers of the Commanders? Kedrick, do you want to make a big announcement right now on this podcast or are you not ready just yet to make that announcement? Well, you know, I, I am looking for one of those minority states, um, you know, a small percentage or whatever else somebody is. But no, you know, I don't. I mean, that's so... Um, you know, we've all heard the news um, in the past week with, you know, Jeff Bezos and Jay-Z and, and RG3 and Byron Allen and the rest of the crew. So, um, you know, well, I guess, you know, there'll be a lot to talk about once that happens. But until then, I'm just going to try to focus on what's going on on the field and see how we can right this ship to get a win this week uh, in Philly. Yeah, a win at the Eagles certainly would be nice. Uh, Well, I wanted to have you on to talk about the commander's defensive line, which has been tremendous. But before we get to that, uh, your overall thoughts on the state of the team season Uh, from one and four to four and four, then the tough loss to the Vikings. Uh, Next up is the big game at the eight and oh and NFL leading Eagles this Monday night. How is Kedrick Golston feeling about this commander's season? You know, it's, I mean, you know, between the quarterback and the season, we just, the word roller coaster is coming. You know what I mean? Early on in the season, uh, the offense would, would put up points. The defense wouldn't, wouldn't be able to stop anybody and, and then vice versa. And so, uh, once Heineke came in, um, he made plays when it mattered. You know, was it pretty? No. Is it how you drew it up? Absolutely not. But at the end of the day, the defense was stingy. Heineke made the plays with the rest of the offense with McLaurin and, and Gibson and, and Samuel and, and the rest of the bunch made the plays when they needed to make them. Um, but, you, you know, as, as from a coaching perspective, you know, you really just you can't plan for those type of, you know, those type of endings of games. And so um, I know Coach Rivera and his staff would like to, you know, um, be able to, you know, be a, 
be going to these games not having to come back in the fourth quarter. But on the flip side of that, this week you had a two-possession game lead, a 10-point lead going into the fourth quarter and, um, you know, had the untimely interception that you just can't do, especially against a, at the time, 6-1 and one Minnesota team that uh, has a ton of weapons. Yeah, painful still to think about the Commanders blowing that 17-7 fourth quarter lead last Sunday afternoon. But the Commanders' defense, uh, overall a major strength of the team, and no unit on the defense has been better than the defensive line. And that's despite Chase Young having not taken a single snap this season, and despite Fedarian Mathis having been out since suffering a left knee injury in the first quarter of the win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in Week 1. Who and what are standing out to you right now when you watch this commander's defensive line? I mean, you know, kudos off to Coach Del Rio and, and the leadership, you know, and the staff. You know, they were, you know, you know, essentially the reason why they lost some of those early games. You know, they couldn't stop anybody. And for them to be able to, you know, right the ship, to be able to understand um, that the, the William Jackson experiment wasn't working and to move on and to put the best players on the field that – you know, are going to do what it is you want them to do, you know, and, and to have the secondary communicating better. Um, you can see that they're playing better on the back end. And then with Allen and Payne, um, it's impressive, you know, and I don't I don't say this lightly, but I do believe they're playing right now at definitely a Pro Bowl level and maybe even all pro level. And I'll say that um, they're the best duo defense interior defensive line in the league right now and so um we knew the pedigree that they had we know the type of uh, young man they, they enjoy playing football and they're rushing the passer at, a, at an elite level and they're playing the run at an elite level and so it's good to see that they've kind of figured out you know what it is they want to do uh from a defensive standpoint and they're they're you know, they're leaning on their strengths, you know what I mean? And so um, it, it takes a few games to figure that out. Um, but, you know, they're exciting to watch. Deron Payne, he, in his NFL career, always had been viewed as being very talented. He, in his NFL career, had been a good player. But he, this season, has been a great player. Why is that? You know, if I'm not mistaken, um, and I, I, I might be wrong, I might be 100% right, I believe he was, wasn't, wasn't Deron like 20 years old when he got drafted here? He was 20, yeah. Um, And so, you know, he's 20 years old, He's a, he, you know, he's, he's he's got all the ability in the world, Um, and then more so than that, you're talking about two people that were in 3-4 schemes at the University of Alabama, and then their first, I believe, Allen's first two years here, and Payne's first year here. And so the different types of modes and mindsets of a 3-4 defense alignment versus a 4-3 defense alignment and essentially having to retrain everything you've learned from college to your you know early career in the pros, it takes a little bit of time because we're all creatures of habit. So you can tell he finally feels comfortable in understanding what exactly it is that the coaches are asking him to do because it's different than a, than a 3-4. You know, what he was asked to do earlier on in his career and at um, Alabama was totally different than what this what this scheme is under uh, Coach Del Rio. And so he's comfortable now. You know, he understands what he can get away with, when he can be aggressive. Um, and so that's exciting. And as a, as a defense alignment, you can tell the confidence that both of them are playing with understanding that, um, you know, their number one job is to be disruptive, to penetrate, and the linebackers and the secondary will make them right. You know what I mean? Because you can tell that uh, – 
the defense is essentially built around them at this point, you know, albeit that, you know, you took both of them in the first round and they're playing at that level to where if they see something, they feel something. Um, the linebackers in the, in the secondary have space and opportunity to make them right. But most importantly, these guys are going vertical and they're being extremely disruptive on uh, in the run game and the pass game. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, this is a contract season for Deron Payne. We always hear about players making it a point to do well in contract seasons, you know, train harder, prepare more, play harder. Uh, is the contract season thing actually a thing? Well, more times than not, you know, in, in, in NFL, it's that, you know, that third or fourth year. Um, and so that's kind of when guys are really starting to figure it out. You know what I mean? As a rookie, you don't know whether you're coming or going as a second-year player. So right around that third or fourth year, you kind of got your routine down, not only in the season, not only from a schematic standpoint, from an organizational standpoint, but from an off-season standpoint. You know, and um, pain doesn't strike. You know, you you can look at pain early on in his career and, he would, you know, he always played hard. He ran, he ran to the ball. He would throw his body around. You could see him twenty yards downfield making plays. I just think he's not matured as a player, and he understands what it takes day in and day out, not only in the season but in the off season, to be the player that he is now. And not to mention, you know, he's just now, you know, coming into what we like to call his grown man strength, as physically dominating as he was as a younger player. You can just see how much more stout he is now. We're talking Commander's defensive line with former Redskins interior defensive lineman Kedrick Golston. Is Deron Payne more physically gifted than John Allen is? Well, I, I told somebody, uh, this is probably two or three years ago, this is, I believe, Chase's rookie year. I said, when you watch all four of them, Montez, Sweat, um, uh, Allen, Payne, and Young, um, Deron sometimes the first one off the ball. You know what I mean? He he has that that type of quickness and ability. Um, I've been impressed uh, with, with Allen since he was in college. Um, because for as productive as he was, an All American Outland Trophy winner, um, he played the game. You knew his game would translate to the pros. You see a lot of young defensive linemen that are uber productive in the college game, but they're making plays by running back door or swimming out of their gap. No, he was fundamentally sound. Um. In college, you know what I mean. He he played. He 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 did. He had, he he was able to have gap control, but also be extremely productive. He you see him use strength. You see him use speed. You see him use agility. And so when you look at the tools that he had as a younger player, you realize, hey, this guy, you know, his game translates to the next level. Same thing with Payne. I was fortunate enough to, um, you know watch some of his film earlier on in his career and even his time in Alabama and you saw the potential there and you knew why uh, Coach Tom Sula who drafted him under, with Jay Gruden was so excited about him so you know they're they're both dominant in their own way I think that uh, if I would have to say that uh, Allen seems to have a lot more tools in his arsenal where pain is just, you know, he's just an animal out there. And it's impressive to watch, but you can also see his game growing with, you know, being around uh, Allen with just understanding the little tricks of the trade. But from somebody that played defensive line, for somebody that, um, it, it's, it's, it's exciting to watch them play because you get it all. You know what I mean? And like I was telling somebody yesterday, there's a lot of defensive linemen that get after the passer. 
You know, they can rush the passer. You know, we all get excited about sacks, and, and that's what defense alignment, especially interior defense alignment, they make a lot of money from getting sacks. But the pride and, and the effort that these guys put into playing the run, it, it's impressive, and I, I – I don't want to speak for anybody, but um, I can. I know that that staff is super excited when they turn on the film and just see the effort um, in the run game and the pass game that these these two are putting in, and, and, and even the whole defensive line sweat as well. You know, these guys have bought in; they understand what the coaches are, are trying to get done, and and you know it, it, it bears out in the statistics. What's also really interesting about Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne this season is how much they're playing in games. Very high snap counts. John and Duran, in the loss to the Vikings, each played on 94% of the commander's defensive snaps. So that, as you know, is a sky-high playing time percentage for an interior defensive lineman. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, hats off to them. Um, the way they're taking care of their body, the strength and conditioning staff over there the athletic training room because for them to be able to play 94% of the snaps, the level that they're playing with the production that they're playing, it's a testament not only to them, but the whole organization. You know, ideally, you know, you would want them maybe in the 75% range, um, but obviously um, with the injury to the rookie earlier on in the year, um, you don't have that, that, uh, that flexibility. Um, but, you know, it can be done. They're showing it, you know, hopefully that I know, you know, they're probably being managed in practice and, and, you know, making sure mentally they're prepared to go in and play because they are exerting so much energy, you know, on Sundays. But, you know, whatever it takes to win, you know, and, and the thing that I always knew about um, Allen and Payne was that they had the right mentality to be successful in this league. You know what I mean? They, they have elite talent, but they have the mindset of a grinder. Um, and so you knew that was going to translate. Um, and so, you know, they... You know, I can't really say anything, you know, bad about them. I thought, you know, in previous years, they got too much of the blame, you know, when they lost games, um, when the defense was struggling. And I used to always tell people, if you're expecting the defensive line to get eight sacks in order to win a game, that's not really sustainable nor fair to them. And then vice versa in the run game, you know, with, with as much motions and different formations, um, you know, with as creative as offensive coordinators are, there's not just an A, B, and a C gap anymore. So your your run game is about your linebackers, your safeties, your corners, you know, inserting, crack, replacing, so on and so forth. Um, but it, I'm excited that, um, you know, John made his first Pro Bowl last year, and I believe that uh, Payne's right behind him this year. And hopefully they can, you know, continue on at the space that they're at and then both of them make all pro. I know that'd be really exciting for them as individuals, but not only a, a, a nice team organizational um, goal. With Montez Sweat, he, by his own admission, did not have a good 2021 season. He, this season, is doing very well. Uh, Montez, through week nine, is tied for second in the NFL in quarterback hits for the 2022 regular season with 19. Uh, head coach Ron Rivera last season talked so much about Washington not always rushing with discipline and not always adhering to the defensive scheme, and he pretty clearly was talking about Montez and Chase Young. What is jumping out at you about Montez this season? You know, I, I think it's just understanding that, um, you know, this is a tough league to be productive in. Um, Sweat has all the physical gifts in the world, 6'6", six, six, long arms, uh, Olympic-type speed, but ultimately you always have to work on your craft. You know what I mean? You don't – if you rush the passer – 
35 times in a game and you have four sacks, we say that's a great year. I mean, a great game, right? But what about the other, you know, 26 times or, or 30 times that you rush the passer? How are you affecting the passer when you're not sacking them? So you can see that the best units are the ones that are getting the sacks. And I, and I would probably venture to say that if Allen and Payne wasn't being so productive, that Sweat probably would have more more sacks, even though as a unit they are being dominant and disruptive. Um, you know, and I just think it's just understanding that with them, you know, you have you had four first rounders on that line, Chase Young, right? So with other units, you know, they got one guy, maybe two. They got an interior guy and a guy from the outside. You think of the Rams last year; they had Donald inside they had von miller on the outside right so you build your pass rush game around those two guys and everybody else knows hey if von goes up and under you better cover him but when you have you know four first round guys that all have that elite ability how do you mesh that together and understand that nobody's trying to be selfish but if a player thinks he can make a play he's going to go try to make that play but being mature enough and understanding the situation, how does that not only affect me, but affect my teammate and the ultimate goal of, you know, getting the quarterback on the ground and getting off the field. Another aspect of the commander's great defensive line play this season is the work of guys not named Jonathan Allen, Duran Payne, or Montez Sweat. The commanders are getting really nice per-snap production from the likes of James Smith-Williams and F.A. Obata and Casey Tuhill and John Ridgway. What do you make of the commander's defensive line depth that has been on display? A depth that obviously the team has needed given the absences of Chase Young and Fedarian Mathis. You know, I, I believe, you know, I, I can go back to a guy that was with us younger in his career that ended up finding a home in Carolina. I don't know if the name Mario Addison rings a bell. Yeah. Mario was with us, you know, on and off for about a year or two and then got to Carolina and became a, a major part of that rotation and, 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 and uh, part of that Super Bowl run they were on. So whether it's Coach Rivera or the scouting staff, they have a – they have a keen eye for defensive ends that can be really productive in this league, and they they understand how to carve out a role for players so that they can you know be successful. And um, you know it's really fun to watch. You know you see a selfless group in there, and, and I believe um you know that Chase is is better for it. You know I was telling people earlier on in the year that this is probably the first time in Chase Young's career that he's ever had to watch a football game from the sideline. You know, he's always been the guy going out there producing. So when you're not able to physically go out there and perform, you start to know the reasons why coaches tell you to do things. You can see the bigger picture. You understand, you know, situations and scenarios better. So I think this time off is going to make him that much of a better player once that knee fully gets healthy and he gets comfortable with it because now he's been able to see people go out there and have success. He's been able to think about you know, growing as a player versus just always going out there and, and, and playing because of the physical gifts that he has. Final question for you. It's hard to ignore that the commander's defensive line is having this terrific season off Ron Rivera in August, weeks into training camp, having fired defensive line coach Sam Mills III and promoted assistant defensive line coach Jeff Scanita to defensive line coach. And then the commanders on September 5th announced the hiring of a guy who you know well, Ryan Kerrigan, 
as assistant defensive line coach. I know that position coaches can be overrated, but is it wrong to say that these changes to the coaching staff are a reason, maybe even a big reason, for the commander's defensive line doing so well so far this season? No, absolutely. I mean, I I would argue that uh, your position coach is, is just as important as anybody else. And the reason why, from a defense alignment standpoint, um, that's the that's the coach you deal with the most. You meet with him for hours a day. You spend all your time uh, on the field with them. And he's the gap um, between the coordinator and you. And the coordinator coordinates the defense. And then the defense line coaches, you know, give you the tools and the techniques that you're going to go out there and execute with. And so what you see now with Coach Z and Kerrigan is, um, you, you know, you can tell the players trust them. Um, they're able to articulate exactly what it is they want them to do. And for me, um, you can see that they're not worrying about making mistakes or being perfect. The goal is to play fast and be disruptive and to understand that, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to say Sam Mills or, or anything like that, but you can. They, I, I see them playing like the coaches have their back. You know what I mean? And I can remember when um, I was in a, a defensive meeting and I did something, and the, the coordinator was saying, "Hey, we don't do that." And this way, and, and the defensive line coach was like, "No, coach, I told him to do that, and here's the reason why." And so, when you know somebody has your back and you're getting the same message, and, and everybody's seeing things the same way, and it, it's not a, you know. From coaching standpoints, everybody, you know, everybody sees the scheme or the technique a little bit differently. It's not a right or wrong. It's just how are we going to do this? How do we want to attack this? You know what I mean? And so from what I see now and with that move earlier on in the year, you could probably tell that it was some type of philosophy um, disagreement that they were having. But now you can tell that from the coordinator, from the head coach and the coordinator to the defensive line coaches, that they're all on the same page and the defensive line are reaping All right. Well, we will hope that the commander's defensive line keeps a good thing going. Kedrick Golston, former Redskins interior defensive lineman. Uh, Kedrick, awesome perspective. I appreciate your time very much. All the best. Have a good one. Well, the Capitals are in the midst of a season-long four-game homestand, but they're now just 1-2-0. and on that homestand, a 4-1 loss to the Pittsburgh Penguins at Capital One Arena on Wednesday night. The Caps fell to 6-7-2. and two. They lost for a fifth time in six games. The Penguins snapped a seven-game losing streak. Uh, as we have discussed, the Caps right now, a shell of what they're supposed to be due to all of their injuries. Defenseman John Carlson and Dmitry Orloff and forwards Nicholas Backstrom, Tom Wilson, TJ Oshie, Connor Brown, Carl Haglin, and Beck Malenstein all out due to injury. Uh, Wednesday night was not a good night for Caps goaltender Darcy Kemper. He stopped just 24 of the 27 shots on goal that he faced, and it wasn't just how many goals that he allowed. It was the nature of the goals that he allowed. Uh, Kemper, per natural stat trick, stopped six of the seven high-danger shots on goal that he faced. He stopped all eight of the medium-danger shots on goal that he faced, but he stopped just six of the eight low-danger shots on goal that he faced. Uh, That is a big no-no, to give up multiple goals on low-danger shots on goal. Uh, Kemper allowed all three of the goals 
that he allowed in the second period, during which he stopped just seven of the 10 shots on goal that he faced. Among the goals was a short-handed goal by forward Brock McGinn, 12.53 into the second period. Caps defenseman Eric Gustafson committed a giveaway, and Kemper allowed the puck to trickle through behind him and into the net off a wrister by McGinn from the right circle near the slot. Also, Kemper knocked the puck into his own net on another goal. This an even-strength goal by forward Jason Zucker, 7.43 into the second period. Uh, this was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Wednesday night on Darcy Kemper. There were some bounces, pucks got whipped in there, and you know he probably like another crack at him. But he's been—you're right—he's been there for us all year. And you know, tonight there were some tough bounces. Yeah, that's code for our goaltender did not play all that well. Uh, the Caps on Wednesday night, three of three on the penalty kill, but they also went zero of four on the power play and gave up that shorthanded goal. So a disappointing game for Darcy Kemper. A disappointing game. For winger Alex Ovechkin, uh, here you had Ovi in a Caps-Pens game, a big game, right? Uh, He finished with no points, just one shot on goal, just three total shot attempts, and a plus-minus rating of minus two. Now, he did register a game-high tying seven hits, so it's not like Ovechkin wasn't engaged. It's not like Ovechkin wasn't trying He just did not get his in this game on Wednesday night. We're not used to seeing that, right? Alex Ovechkin finishing a game with just one shot on goal and just three total shot attempts. Uh, The Caps' lone goal was an even strength goal by winger Marcus Johansson in the third period. Uh, We also had Caps defenseman Alexander Alexiev making his 2022-2023 NHL regular season debut. Heck, he played in just his second career NHL regular season game. Uh, Alexiev played for 11 minutes, 48 seconds. He uh, finished dead last on the camps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick at 32 of the camps with Alexiev on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game. Had just eight shot attempts versus allowing 17 shot attempts. Uh, The camps took Alexiev with the number 31 pick in the first round of the 2018 NHL draft. He's coming off a serious injury. The Caps on June 18th announced that Alexiev had undergone a surgical labral repair on his left shoulder and that based on the nature of the procedure, Alexiev was expected to miss four to five months. Here was Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on Alexander Alexiev. You know, there's there's some good things he did out there. There's some things we'll go back and, you know, work with him, but um, it's tough coming off of... Um, you know, an injury like that and being out for so long and getting up to game speed and then jumping in against a team like Pittsburgh, too. So I thought it was good. All right. Next up for the Caps, home to the Tampa Bay Lightning, Friday night at 7. And let's talk some baseball. It is on Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern that MLB free agency for the 2022-2023 offseason will begin. Uh, We are not expecting much from the rebuilding Nationals in free agency, especially considering their up-in-the-air ownership situation. But we are expecting something, maybe a whole lot of something, from the Orioles. Uh, Orioles Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias has said that the O's are going to spend money this offseason. Now, I know, we'll see, especially given the infighting of the Orioles' ownership family, the Angelos family, but the O's off a stunningly good 2022 season 
now are at a point on the win curve to where they should spend. They are coming out of their rebuild. A number of promising young players have arrived with more to come. And so now is the time to start truly trying to win. Uh, The first major domino of the Orioles offseason fell on Wednesday as the O's on Wednesday afternoon announced that they had declined their club option for the 2023 season for starting pitcher Jordan Lyles. Uh, This doesn't, though, necessarily mean that Lyles is done with the O's. His 2023 club option was pretty expensive, so the O's officially announced the signing of Lyles as a free agent this past March 12th. He got a one-year contract with a club option. He, for the 2022 season, received a $6 million salary. He, for the 2023 season, would have received an $11 million salary. Uh, The O's, in declining Lyles' 2023 option, had to pay him a $1 million buyout. Uh, Now, the O's on Wednesday pretty clearly leaked to the media that the team is interested in re-signing Lyles, just at a price lower than $11 million. We, on Wednesday afternoon, had multiple reports that the door was not closed on the O's re-signing Lyles. The source or sources for these reports pretty clearly came from the O's. But to me, $11 million for Jordan Lyles is a bit expensive. Uh, Now, Lyles did have a good 2022 season for the O's, all things considered. He signed with the O's off having pitched for the Texas Rangers over the previous two seasons, 2020 and 2021. Jordan Lyles, over those two regular seasons, had an ERA of 560, an ERA plus of just 79, a whip of 143, and a strikeouts per nine innings of just 6.9 in 237 and two-thirds innings over 44 games, including 39 starts. Lyles for the Rangers was not good, but Lyles for the O's was significantly better. Lyles for the O's in the 2022 regular season made 32 starts. He totaled 179 innings. He registered an ERA of 442 and an ERA plus of 91. Now, he wasn't great or even good, An ERA plus of 100 is league average. Anything above 100 is good. Again, Lyles' ERA plus for the 2022 regular season was 91. But he was a workhorse by 2022 standards anyway, right? 32 starts, and he was a lot better than he had been in recent seasons. Uh, The 2023 season will be Lyles' age 32 season. Ideally, the Orioles 2023 rotation will feature a bunch of young rising pitchers, guys like Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall and Dean Kramer and Kyle Bradish and Tyler Wells and Spencer Watkins and Austin Voth. You still also have John Means. I mean, the O's have a good number of starting pitching options, especially young starting pitching options, but a number of those guys are coming off having been injured to varying degrees this past season, and we all know how it is with pitching. You can never have enough of it. So personally, I think that the O's should be open to bringing back Jordan Lyles, but yeah, not at $11 million. Uh, I actually think that Lyles might make sense for the Nats. Uh, The Nats are severely lacking in starting pitching options. Uh, The Nats could sign Lyles to a deal similar to the one that he had with the O's and then possibly flip him prior to the 2023 MLB trade deadline.
And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 441, will feature reaction to and analysis of whatever this major announcement on Thursday afternoon from Washington, D.C. Attorney General Coral Racine regarding the commanders is. I'll also talk, you know, actual commanders football uh, as we get closer to the four and five commanders at the 8-0 and NFL leading Philadelphia Eagles this Monday night at 8-15. We on Thursday will have the first injury report for the game and we expect to hear from commanders head coach Ron Rivera via post-practice press conference. Also on Friday's show, we'll talk college football. Goldilocks for Week 11, previews and picks for Maryland at number 14 Penn State, Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Navy versus number 20 Notre Dame at M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore, Saturday at noon. Liberty at UConn, Saturday at noon. Virginia home to Pitt, Saturday at noon. And Virginia Tech at Duke, Saturday at noon. And I on Friday's show will talk Wizards and college basketball off games on Thursday night. The Wizards are home to the Dallas Mavericks Thursday night at 7. Maryland is home to Western Carolina Thursday night at 7. And Virginia Tech is home to Lehigh Thursday evening at 6. Have a great rest of your Thursday and I'll talk to you on Friday. Cuckoo! Cuckoo!